Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Ohio Huntsman podcast. And on today's episode, we talk to Sportsman's Alliance about conservation and hunting rights and how to protect our hunting rights and how to make sure we're protecting that for the next generation. And we also talk about the conservation reinvestment initiative, the the new budget initiatives here in Ohio that are going to result in deer and turkey tag price increases and, and some fishing license price increases. So we talk about why we actually needed that, why it's a good thing. They played a big part in getting that passed. And so they answer a lot of questions that we had about it, clear up a lot of misconceptions and also some questions that we've been getting from you guys since this all came out. So it's really interesting conversation. I think a really helpful conversation. And because of the conservation part, we're actually going to dedicate this episode to our grandpa. Uh, he, he actually just passed away um, about a week ago. Uh, the funeral was two days ago. And uh, he played a big part in our lives and instilling that conservation ethic, protecting that hunting heritage, passing down those hunting traditions to us. And so it's just fitting. We thought it was fitting to dedicate this to him and just take a minute to kind of remember him. I know you guys didn't know him, but maybe it'll inspire you to think about how those things were passed down to you and Also think about what you're doing to pass those things down to the next generation. So, you know, he he played a big part in doing that for us, as well as just turning us into the the men that we are today, I guess. He, uh, I know, you know, we would go out there and work on the farm in the summers as kids, and, and, you know, so he, he sort of set me on the path, the career path that I took, because... He had CAD software back in the day, and it's, it sounds kind of silly, but he would actually let me do CAD software, do CAD tutorials on his computer, because I was interested in that kind of stuff. And uh, so, like I said, it, it kind of set me on the path of becoming an engineer, and he played a really big part in, in all three of our lives, and sort of giving and instilling in us those traditions and the importance of protecting that and he also just thought conservation was really important especially in his later years he gave a ton he donated a ton of money to different conservation organizations and never passed up an opportunity to go to a conservation banquet and and donate money and and you know he he loved a good gun banquet for some kind of conservation organization and you know, just just always looking for ways to give back. He was a farmer as well, and, uh, you know, he loved working with 4-H and going and, and bidding on the prize-winning turkey at the fair and, and, you know, paying some exorbitant amount for this turkey, not because it was such a great turkey, but because he wanted to put that excitement and, and that passion into those those young kids and about farming and and what that could mean because that was a really important important part of his life and so we talk about conservation in this episode grandpa was was really big on conservation 
He instilled a lot of that in us. And so, like I said, hopefully this will be an opportunity for, for you guys to reflect on how those things were passed down to you and what you're doing to help protect them and pass them down to the next generation. So let's get into the episode and talk to Sportsman's Alliance. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right. Today on the show, we've got Brian and Bruce from the Sportsman's Alliance. I want to start off by thanking you guys for taking time to talk to us. I know getting schedules worked out, that's that's always our, our biggest challenge with this. So uh, I appreciate you guys taking time out of your out of your busy schedules to jump on and talk to us. No worries. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. So um, if you could, I want to start with, um, why don't you guys each kind of introduce yourselves and what it is you do with Sportsman's Alliance, and then we can, for people that don't know or aren't familiar, let's then go into what Sportsman's Alliance is and, you know, what it is that you guys do. So whoever wants to start. Brian, you go ahead. (laughs) Well, I'm Brian Lynn. Uh, I work uh, as the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Sportsman's Alliance. Um, Been here about five years. Everything you see that goes out, uh, that we put out, whether that's print, digital, television, uh, online, whatever, uh, goes through my department. And uh, we work pretty much with all the other departments, membership services, uh, Bruce's government affairs department, uh, the fundraising side of things, just about everything we touch. So, uh, yeah, we, we handle the social media, the print uh traditional media working with those guys trying to get quotes and coverage and making sure they get it straight which they oftentimes don't um yeah before that i've been with uh uh, espnoutdoors.com and bassmaster i was at uh, outdoor life magazine freelanced for just about everybody in the industry so i've been around for about 20 years in the industry awesome hey jason uh bruce tag here i'm vice president of government affairs at sportsman's alliance Our department, we monitor legislation detrimental to hunting, fishing, and trapping in all 50 states at the federal, state, and local level. This year was a really busy year. The antis really ramped up. Uh, We probably looked at at least 500 pieces of legislation. We're active on a little bit over 200. The majority of the legislatures um, are out of session now or in recess you have a handful of states that are what we call carryover states, so there's still legislation in those states that we're working on. Uh, we've got a couple um, lawsuits that we're involved with at the federal levels, Grizzly D-List and um, Great Lakes uh, Wolves, and then the New, Jer- New Jersey Black Bear case on the litigation side. So we run the gamut of everything. We work very closely with Brian. Um, he's kind of our public voice. You know, we do all the work behind the scenes and build coalitions in states that we're fighting and meet with legislators. And then, of course, Brian 
pretties that up, if you will, and gets it out there where folks can understand uh, some of the nuances. You know, if we just put, uh, you know, kind of legislative language out there for folks to read, it's uh, pretty heavy stuff. So sure. that's what we do here at the at the Alliance. Okay. And so Sportsman's Alliance as a whole, you guys are, are based out of Columbus. Is that correct? You're, you're obviously working on things on a national level. Yeah, we're uh, based in Columbus. Uh, started there in 1977 um, with a ballot initiative that came in to ban trapping. So in the 70s is when the animal rights movement really got started uh, in earnest and using legal channels to accomplish what they want. And so they're still doing it to this day as far as manipulating the ballot initiative process in states. Uh, you know, if you can get enough signatures, you can put anything just about you want on a ballot. And so that's what they do. And once it's on there, they just buy airtime and use an emotional messaging and try to pass their their uh, laws that they want to see, whether that's trapping, banning trapping, the use of hounds or bait or whatever it is, um, all sorts of wildlife management, that's what they were doing. And so in the 70s, they came into Ohio and figured, well, if we can pass something here, other states will be easy to get to. And a bunch of wildlife professionals, businessmen, uh, conservation guys, hunters got together and figured out how to stop them. They ran the counter campaign, and then they all went back to work doing their day job. Well. <laughs> The animal rights movement didn't stop. You know, they just went on to the next state and a couple other states. And pretty soon, you know, wildlife professionals there were calling these guys going, hey, how'd you guys beat them? What, what do we need to do? And so these guys quickly saw that there needed to be an organization to help address this. So starting, I think we were incorporated as a nonprofit in 1978. Um, we started working and defending fishing, hunting and trapping specifically from the animal rights movement. Uh, doesn't matter if it's apex predators, deer, bow fishing, whatever it is, um, we're going to defend it. We don't have one specific animal we defend. We don't do conservation work, you know, on the ground like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or Ducks Unlimited or any of that. What we do allows those organizations and other conservationists to do the work that they do. Without the Sportsman's Alliance, every time we lose, the entire industry loses, whether that's conservation, whether that's industry such as, you know, Cabela's, Bass Pro Shops. doesn't matter if you're buying a, a Winchester or a Mossberg or a Remington. If they take a season away, it's gone and nobody's selling them anything. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we've been doing this for about 40 years now, and we work in uh, all 50 state legislatures, uh, state and federal court and at the ballot box. And so we help organize grassroots uh, opposition. Bruce's team works with the, with the senators and representatives in different states to try to stop initiatives, or not initiatives, but bills going forward, or to pass things that we're trying to push through that are an offensive step that help hunting and help fishing and trapping. Awesome. So... <clears throat> I really like that description, and unbeknownst to you guys, this the timing of this worked out perfectly because last week's episode, we talked to uh, Mike from Hunter's Blend Coffee, and we talked about how their, you know, their business model is really trying to help 
hunting and a lot of and support a lot of these um, hunting and conservation organizations. And he talked very highly of the Sportsman's Alliance and what you know so, said sort of similar things that like without Sportsman's Alliance, the habitat work you know doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot if you, if you if you can't you know if they ban hunting then having animals to hunt you know doesn't really matter and so the the timing of this is is sort of perfect so yeah no they're great they're great partners and you know we partner with just about everybody in the industry um it's part of what our name is the alliance so you know we work with the hunter hunters blend guys cabela's bass pro rocky mountain elk foundation with a couple of different uh, lawsuits uh the safari clubs you know just about anybody we uh we're partners with and and help promote and defend you know these different vertical markets within the industry you know we're kind of everybody's friend <laughs> yeah so do you guys i'm assuming you also work with the national deer alliance because that's sort of a newer uh, sort of initiative right uh, there's all these what I would call sort of more specialty, right? The the elk foundation, the turkey foundations, the mule deer, the the bighorn sheep, right? And the National Deer Alliance has been is newer in the sense that you know they're they're trying to represent all of of deer hunting. There's not been one sort of organization to do that. I'm assuming you guys work with them as well. Yeah, yeah, we we work with them and stay in communication. And if there's legislation that we can work on together, we do that. Just like we do with, like you said, all these different ones: uh, sheep foundation, elk, deer. You know, QDMA or mule deer, and then Deer Alliance is kind of trying to bring all those people together under one umbrella. Right. Uh, both sides of that deer hunting side of things. Okay. So we talked a little bit beforehand, and. And the main thing, or or one of the main things I want to talk about today, because it's it's um, I guess top of mind because they've recently announced the the budget changes here in Ohio, and you know this conservation reinvestment initiative, and that's been signed in, and so we're seeing you know there's going to be deer and turkey tag increases, price increases, and so I want to talk about that. What What is conservation reinvestment? Um, you know, how did we get to this this state where the Division of Wildlife is, is severely underfunded? And, and I suspect you guys can kind of lay this out better than, than I can. So, you know, do you guys want to kind of lay this out in, in whatever order or um, sequence makes the most sense? Sure, Jason. This is Bruce. Um, and um, just give it to you straight, you know, um, most most of your listeners uh, will will know that um, Division of Wildlife here in Ohio is nearly entirely funded by two sources, um, license and permits on hunting and fishing and trapping. And those are the federal excise taxes, um, the purchase of firearms, ammunition, archery equipment, fishing gear, PR and and Johnson dollars. Uh, more than 95% of the agency's budget comes from those two sources. So again, the purchase of permits and tags, and then of course, uh, PR and DJ dollars. And historically here in Ohio, um, to keep up with the pace for the cost of doing business, sportsmen and women would go down to the legislature about every 10 years and ask the General Assembly to increase uh, the fees so we can continue to get the service that we pay for. Um, and here's where the problem began. The last increase here in Ohio was in the 2003 biennial budget. So if you do the math, that's 
that's quite a long time, yeah. um, 16 years before. And so <clears throat> we would go down there and continuously ask um, very nicely to to help us with this because, as you're aware, if the funding's not there, um, what you're paying for, if you will, you're not getting the service that you're paying for. Access is limited, boat ramps are in disrepair, um, all those types of things. So in about 2013, um, we had some more issues and it repeated itself in 2015. And, and that's when we really began to notice a bigger decline in the quality because the division was beginning to slow walk projects to make ends meet. Um, the budget at ODNR is anticipated on the conservative side to be about $306 million in the hole over the next 10 years. And um, we worked with DNR on these numbers. These are not numbers that the Sportsman's Alliance came up with. Um, and I'm sure, you know, you guys have been following this. I'm, I'm sure you've seen Director Mertz and them putting these numbers out there. Yeah. Um, in 2017, we kind of broke, broke through a little bit and we were able to get some um, approvals for non-resident increases. And so I know there's been some scuttlebutt out there I'm sure maybe your folks have commented too. You know, why aren't we why aren't we doing anything with the non-resident fees? Well, mm -hmm. we were able to get the legislature to do that in 2017. That's being phased in over a three-year period, and we're currently in the second year of that phase in. Um, but let me give you some of the numbers that we're looking at, so folks can understand how big this you know this this gap is and why the um, this initiative that we put forth and worked with over 41 conservation and hunting groups here in the state of Ohio uh, to really work with the governor to get this passed. The <clears throat> operational needs of the department alone, that would be just existing staff, nothing new, is about $105 million over the next 10 years. The capital needs is about $120 million over the next 10 years. So the capital needs are your shooting range projects, maybe purchasing land or retaining land. Um, and believe it or not, um, you know, there's there's some dams that ODNR has to has to deal with. So that's that all adds up. Um, there's other miscellaneous projects where there's some marsh work uh, that they need to be done, and that's a total of about 41 million. Um, so the AEP recreation lands, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of these lands, and most folks probably don't know that that's not really public land. AEP right. has just let us, you know, let the state manage that for, for quite some time. Um, if we were to lose the AEP recreation lands, we would, in one fell swoop, we'd lose about 10% of the publicly accessible hunting land here in Ohio. And so that was another big part of this when AEP decided to sell it. Um, there was a tranche that was bought early on uh, under the last administration. But it was only about 5,000 acres, and they, we had some rights to another 6,700 um, that kind of fell through. Um, but there's about 55,000 acres left, and if you base it on the uh, price that was, was sold last time around, you're looking at another $110 million. So, um, if anyone's following along, that total need is about $336 million over the next 10 years. With the increases in the non-resident fees that are being phased in, that was an estimated $30 million over the next 10 years. So that brings you down to that $306 million number that I talked about in the beginning. Okay. Um, under the investment act that the governor put in the budget and, and signed, the 
resident fee increases and there is some non-resident in there and i'm going to go through that because i think there's some miscommunication on that as well it's not all of the licenses and fees that are out there of the department of wildlife's 54 different license and permits the the fees are only being raised on eight and those are annual fishing non-resident three-day one-day fishing resident deer, resident youth deer, resident turkey, non-resident turkey, and youth turkey. So I've, I've seen some stuff out there in the Twitterverse and Facebook and all that, that they're raising all the all the fees uh, here in Ohio. Yeah. It's only eight of the 54. Um, and that's estimated to bring in about $4 million per year, which over the next 10 years would be about $40 million. Um, so that brings that number down to, you know, roughly 260 or whatever that is. And then... <clears throat> One of the most important things was the the governor was able to get $47 million worth of bond dollars to go towards purchasing the rest of the AEP land. Um, And so we're monitoring that, but that's a very good start. And, you know, again, we worked with 41 groups here in Ohio to really get this done. Um, I'll mention a couple of them. You know, I, I know we're pressed a little bit for time, but Buckeye Firearms, Ducks Unlimited, National Wild Turkey Federation, Ohio Chapter, Ohio State Trappers Association, Ohio Conservation Federation, Ohio Pheasants Forever, SCI Central Ohio, Green County Fishing Game. So, I mean, I could go on, but we have a great cross-section of all the sportsmen clubs and conservation groups here in Ohio that understand the need to have a, a good and well-oiled functioning DNR, particularly uh, wildlife department. So um, I hope that gives you a, a little bit more in-depth knowledge on, on what we worked on since the beginning of the year with the, with the governor's staff and, and director Mertz to get where we are today. We're not there. Um, by any means, but this is a good first step, and we are extremely pleased that Governor DeWine uh, made this a priority right off the bat in his first budget. I want to pause here for a quick second to talk about Mastin's Deer Sense. So, Mastin's is a premium scent company, deer scent company, and uh, they've got a lot of really interesting products. So, they've got your standard liquid scents, and I wouldn't even call those standards. They, they've got what I would call unique scents. They've got some that are using five different glands on a deer to compose the scent. But some of the other things they've got is they've got deer-scented candles. And I'm telling you what, when you open these things up, they are they are powerful. So I would imagine then you heat it, you know, you light it with a candle and you heat that candle. I would imagine those scents are going to carry a long, long way. We're going to try some of that stuff out this fall. They've got scented gel crystals, so if you don't want to leave something in the field, right, you open this can, you've got the the scented gel, you close the can up and take it out of the woods with you when you're done. So a lot of different interesting things. They've got the, the scent drip bags, and their scent bottles are big enough to just go right into that bag, so there's no pouring liquids into another container and risking getting that stuff on your hands or anything like that. They actually sell... The bottle that their liquid scents come in fits right into a standard scent drip bag and you screw on the little drip loop and you've got yourself a scent dripper. So now's getting to be a good time to start running some of those scent lines and and setting that stuff up. So you can find more information on all of this at their website, www.mastinsdeersense.com or just click the link in the description. That way you don't have to remember how to spell any of that. 
I'll put it in the description. You guys can click it there and check out and order some of their stuff right from their website. And now, back to the conversation. So so one thing that we hear, you know, in the Twitterverse, in the Facebook, you know, universe is they've got all this money. Um, they're just going to line their pockets. So, uh, yeah. Can you debunk that for us? Sure. So particularly with PR and DJ dollars, it has to be put towards there are certain things that it can and cannot do. And if, and if you don't use that money for the specific items that, that the law specifies, you get what's called a diversion. And the state not only has to pay that back, but I think there's penalties and interest. So any DNR across the country uh, that's utilizing PR or DJ dollars um, in any way, shape or form um, that doesn't fit this the specific law and I, I can't cite it um, but it, it deals with habitat you know hunting fishing trapping and stuff like that you can't line your pockets you can't give people raises you can't you can't do this um, and so you know that's common I think in any industry um, when you have the government you know where there's money going in and going out and it's oh they're giving money to their favorite person or they're giving themselves raises right. um, you know the operational needs of the DNR have been, um, if, if you look at the history, they've not done anything nefarious, if you will, down there. They've kept up with um, inflation or, 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 or been below it. Uh, they've actually cut um, cut some folks over the last couple of years. I don't remember the exact number, but they've actually lowered the amount of employees there to try to uh, maintain and keep their budgets. You know, one of the other issues we had is we didn't have um, wildlife officers in all 88 counties here in Ohio uh, just because they didn't have the operational dollars to do that. Again, what folks need to remember is 95% of Ohio's DNR money comes from uh, DJ and, and Pittman Robinson dollars. And you just can't do whatever you want with that money. You just you just can't. Because so there's People at the federal government are, are double-checking and triple-checking. Right. That's all audited and everything, right? Yeah. And so yeah. that 95% of the Division of Wildlife budget is from DJ and Pittman Roberts' money plus the, the tag and um, license sales? Correct. Do you know the breakdown of how much of that comes from tag and license sales versus how much comes from PR and DJ money? I do not know that off the top of my head, but I do know that Ohio still sells enough permits, tags, and everything that were maxed out at the federal level. Because the PR and DJ dollars are based on the amount of tags, permits, and licenses you sell. Oh, a certain percentage. So, um, so again, if we don't have habitat, right, RE, recreation lands, and we don't have folks going utilizing that land, purchasing their permits and licenses, our percentage of PR dollars goes down. Um, interesting thing, um, the Obama administration was the best um, the best gun salesman ever. So PR dollars during the Obama administration, when everyone was, you know, oh, they're going to take our guns, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. PR dollar percentage went up because the amount of money, because people were buying uh, buying firearms and ammunition. Um, so we've seen that trend is now uh, going down the other way. So the amount of PR dollars available is beginning to shrink. And so again, it's important, you know, we, we have to we have to get folks out in the field, you know, and, and, and I'm sure Brian will explain some of the other programs that we have, you know, we've got a families of field program that we work on in all 50 states, uh, our three type stuff. 
Um, you want to jump in a little bit, Brian, and explain again the importance of getting folks back out in the field, getting new folks in the field, and just maintaining what we have because it's just been a sharp decline. Yeah, no, the, uh, you know, I understand the public's perception is like, holy crap, they're, they're raising my rates again and I got to pay more for a license or a tag. And, you know, I, I get that. I, I totally get that. It's expensive enough as it is, you know, right. buying bags every year, buying ammunition, all the other stuff. I mean, we're, we're gearheads. We like to buy all this stuff anyways, but, uh, <laughs> right. then, then we complain about it too. So, um, but you know, it's, this is an investment. I guess it's been what, 13 years, 16 years, Bruce, since, yep. there, since uh, licenses and tags were raised at all in Ohio. And if we don't raise it, the flip side is we're just going to keep paying the same amount and the quality of habitat goes down, access goes down, uh, your fish ramps degrade and you can't be used, your shooting ranges degrade. So we're slitting our own throats. You know, you're not investing. It's like throwing good money after bad when there's no bad money left. You know, you're just you're just throwing it into a bottomless pit that you're not going to maintain. And then it's a chicken and egg thing there. You're evolving. You know, you're you're going downhill. If people don't have access, they don't have good facilities, they can't use the land, they can't hunt, they quit. You know, right. so it's an investment. You know, it's an investment in keeping public land. It's an investment in habitat. It's an investment in access, being able to get onto the waters with a boat ramp, um, being able to shoot and go out and enjoy these things. If we don't do it, it's just going to slowly dwindle away. Um, and then, as Bruce said, the Pittman-Robertson and Johnson-Dingle acts are based on license sales. It's a national equation with all this excise tax going in, but then each state gets it their percentage based on license sales and such. Um, so if we start this downward spiral and we don't have access, we don't have good habitat and opportunity, people stop hunting and then we're just, you know, caught in a spiral and then the federal monies aren't coming in and it's just going to get worse and worse. Um, you know, so that's, you know, from a marketing perspective, I know it sucks that, we have to pay more for licenses and tags, but if we don't, it's going to be a whole lot worse. Right. You know? Yeah. And the, the one thing I like to point out is pretty much everybody in their, in their jobs has gotten a raise since 2003. Right. I mean, that was, that was when you said the last budget increase was, and, and then we got a little help from the non-resident increase in that started in 2017. Yeah. They've been operating on the more or less the same money since, 2003, whereas everybody else has at least gotten a, you know, the, the 2% or 3% cost of living bump every year, you know, for yeah. the most part, I would imagine. Yeah, but you know, but, but you know, it didn't go down. Healthcare costs for all your employees. So as right. you said, you're getting stagnant revenue and you could arguably, again, I'd have to look at the numbers, but with the PR dollars uh, being less because of the, again, that Obama gun boom, um, you know, they've got increased operational needs, particularly with health care, um, insurance and all of that stuff, but the revenue has been stagnant. So, uh, again, it, it's, you know, the, the name of it was the Conservation Reinvestment Initiative. As, as Brian said, it's we're reinvesting in Ohio. And um, if you look at the, the final prices on, on some of these, but we're still 
we're still real competitive with the states around us yeah. as far as resident stuff goes. I mean, the, the prices are not outrageous. It's not like, but you know, that's one of the things we, we'd rather not have to do a two, $3, $4 increase every 10 years. Um, you know, if, if we could get, get to a position where it's 10 cents one year, it's nothing the next year, you know, 15 cents the next year to keep up with the inflation. I think that's where everyone would rather be. Um, But because again, you know, going 16 years without these, these little increases, you know, Brian mentioned shooting ranges, the backlog over the next 10 years is, is almost $25 million in shooting range projects. We've got, you know, our ranges are 20, 30 years old. Some of the new platforms today, they're not equipped to do that. When someone wants to go out and, and, and shoot some, some targets or, throw lead down the line you know boat ramp projects you're looking at another 24 million we've got a lot of uh, public fishing access up here in ohio um and if you can't get your boat in there first thing you do is you call dnr and you say well it's great i just bought my fishing license but i can't fish at my favorite lake or anything like that because i can't get my my boat in Mm -hmm. so um it's it, it was it was desperately needed and you know folks just just need to take a look at things and not uh, get overworked and put stuff out on Facebook and Twitter just to, you know, to stir up stuff or uh, just maybe look at the facts, I guess, is, is probably the best thing to do before start saying stuff, you know. Well, and I think the other important thing to sort of reiterate, you know, you mentioned it before, pretty much all of the the sportsmen's organizations that you know the the whitetails unlimited the backcountry hunters and anglers everybody was was for this right like this was mm-hmm. those organizations that we sort of ask to represent us in in the name of of deer hunting in the name of turkey hunting in the name of uh, pheasant hunting you know all of those people all of those organizations came together and said yes we want this because it's we know it's going to help and we need this so i i, I guess i want to remind listeners of that as well yeah yeah i think that's important you know a lot of folks join these groups to represent them and so when we have meetings and we call all the groups and again like you said like uh nwtf here in ohio and the pheasants forever quail forever sci uh, buckeye firearms you know, we're meeting with the leadership. They're reaching out to their members, and their members are saying, "Yeah, we understand. We need this. Go ahead, sign on. Work with the alliance, and let's get this done." We we uh, spent um, a lot of time down at the state house meeting with representatives and senators. A lot of time with the administration and and wildlife division of wildlife. And we, uh, to be honest with you, we couldn't have got this done without the help of the 41 other groups there's just no way you can because you know as well as i do your representatives asking his local guy right yeah. the yeah. local guy who, who's at the local rod and gun club hey what you know what do you, i'm here this is what i'm hearing from this group or that group what do you guys think well well representative we're on board too yeah and so it was a collective effort again we're by no means there but boy boy we really uh really took a chunk out of this um to reinvest in in, in what needs to be done here in ohio so, and, and I don't know that you guys are the, are the best people to ask, but maybe you've got some insight into this. Um, the other thing we hear a lot regarding budget and, and fees is resident, Ohio resident hunters very much think that the non-resident fees are still too low. Do you know if there's any talk about 
um, increasing those non-resident fees more or, or looking at that again in some fashion? I, I don't have any inside knowledge, uh, but I think that the division and DNR, when the phase-in of the three-year period of raising the non-resident fees is up, I think they'll take a look at the budget again and see where we're at. Um, the other thing that folks need to understand too is is that um, you know when you're dealing with revenue and stuff, we, you know we want folks to come to Ohio, right? You know mm-hmm. my, my cousins are coming out here uh, for whitetail here uh, in you know right around opening, and they are so hyped to get out here because they read all these good things about whitetail here in Ohio, and they haven't blinked an eye about paying. Um, the fee to get the license and the permits out here because we have such good, you know, we have such good deer out here. Um, so yes, I think that they will look into that. But the but what I'm getting at is you can't price yourself out of the market because they'll go to Pennsylvania, they'll go to Indiana, they'll go up to Wisconsin, they'll go to these other states. And again, when you look at the way that Ohio DNR and a lot of DNRs and wildlife agencies are set up in each state it's cyclic okay so the money that goes in is the money that they use to pay for all these things if we start losing that revenue you get what happened to us here there was the revenue wasn't coming in so they're pushing off things that they don't necessarily um you know they, they may say okay well we, we could push this off six months because we've got a uh, you know a, a dam over here or we'd have to get a, a, an officer in you know Meg's County or something sure. um, yeah. and so they have to they have to make their budget because folks need to remember too the DNR is not like a regular agency if you will again we're kind of self uh, the agency's kind of self uh, I don't know the best word to describe it but the legislators don't allocate a certain budget you see you know what i mean like like all of your other state departments have actual tax dollars that go in there oh right 95 percent of the agency's revenue again comes from us and the pr and and dj dollars coming in so We're there's sort of no, self-funded that that's that's the word i was looking for thanks jason yep yep we are self-funded and so um you know and historically i think that's why sportsmen have really not it's a little bit of heartburn, but we understand that if, 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 if our fees aren't raised, you get that declining service that we're paying for. And so, you know, I've met with a lot of legislators on this and they said, you know, it's really, it's kind of weird when you all come down here and tell us to raise your fees. He said, it's kind of hard to believe, you know, that, that you guys would do that. (laughs) We explain it to, because, you know, no, no offense to, to the legislators, but a lot of legislators don't even understand how DNR works either. And so you know, their eyes get crossed when you come in and you say, hey, we want you to raise our fees. And they look at you and they say, uh, what are you talking about? What do you mean you want us to raise your fees? No one wants their fees raised. Because again, especially your newer legislators, they don't understand how the agency works and how it's right. funded. So. Right. Okay. So um, another thing I kind of want to circle back on is the recreation land. So there's there's been some money that's that's allocated for that but but my understanding is that's not a a done deal at this point is that correct i don't think it's a done deal yet i do know that um the director has said publicly uh, that they are uh, continuing to negotiate with ap um i i don't think there's you know this chance of you know ap is going to take their 
toys out of the toy box and, and go home. Um, but for a couple of years, uh, there was no communication there. Uh, there was a communication breakdown and there was a real, real strong chance that we were going to lose all of that land uh, to private interests. And now the discussions are happening again. Uh, and the governor, again, has that $47 million in bond money. And um, I'm very optimistic. I think we're going to get all of it. I, th- I think I think the, the hunters here in Ohio and, and, and Fisher and, and, and trappers are going to retain that the rest of that 50,000, 55,000 acres that's left. Awesome. And that's that's another thing, you know, because of the unique situation of those lands, we're we're retaining land. We're retaining public land, even though it's technically owned by AP. The state's managed it for so many years, and AP's let us, you know, let us utilize that land. So you may get some folks who say, why are we buying land? Well, I'd rather say we're retaining 65,000 acres of land that, that, that was already ours, if you will. Right, right. Okay. Um, Jake, Jeff, you guys, because I was going to kind of switch gears here. Do you guys have any questions on any of that kind of stuff? No, no I, I don't think I have any yeah. on that. I think okay. I'm pretty good. It's mostly just I like that we touched on the fact that the revenue and the increased dollars is forced, essentially, to go back into the division it's not going to go into their bonuses or their paychecks i'm glad we touched on that because we definitely get a lot of pushback and resistance about oh you know there's already the numbers are already declining now they're going to increase the fees and people can't afford it um but like you guys said it's like the chicken and the egg the numbers are declining because the opportunity is not there because we're not keeping up with our lands because we can't afford it yeah i mean if, if you guys been paying attention to the news I think it's the Yankees and Padres or something to be playing at the Field of Dreams. Do you remember the Kevin Costner movie from the yep. late 80s, early 90s? And it was, if you build it, they will come. Yep, right. Yep. Yeah, well, if the DNR doesn't have the money to build it, ain't nobody coming. Right. So, Yeah. All right. So um, I want to switch gears here a little bit and, and let's talk about how people can stay informed and what other things that like our audience should be aware of. So what's the best way for people to stay informed and stay up to date on things like this, uh, you know, these budget shortfalls or other legislative things that, that might be happening where we're risking losing, um, uh, hunting privileges, hunting types of hunting, any, any kind of that legislative stuff. Yeah, the, uh, well, the easiest is just to go to our website and sign up for our, our newsletter and alerts. So if something's happening in Ohio or any other state, we put out uh, alerts, giving the background, you know, telling people what step they need to take, whether that's contact your House of Representative folks, your senators, or to call this committee or call the state and you know the regulations or whatever and tell them to vote yes or tell them to vote no or whatever that political pressure so we have an alert list that goes out and then also for our weekly newsletter it's not always weekly i don't want to spam people when we put things out so it's when things are happening Um, it's more often but that i put out uh, weekly and that'll be kind of a roundup of a snapshot of what's going on across the country different bills moving you know, whether that's mountain lions or bobcats or, you know, what's going on at Bass Pro and Cabela's or whatever else, um, we put that out there. So that's a great way to get that in your inbox. 
um, when something's happening. The other way is to follow us on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. You know, Facebook's probably our biggest one right now. Um, and we're pretty active on there posting not only our stuff, but kind of the fallout of bad policy or good policy. Uh, you can see it in states in Washington, Oregon, California, other places that animal rights movement, you know, they've passed these ballot initiatives, whether it's hounding or the use of bait or whatever. And uh, you can now see this uptick of mountain lion attacks or the impact of wolves on on the herds and stuff. So we're putting out that news from around the country that's showing these things as well as, you know, the positive side of the news of what's going on out there, how hunting and conservation are linked and, uh, you know, why hunters run this. We, we call it hunter-vationist, hunter-conservationist, the hunter-vationist. Um, it's kind like of our, yeah, it's a little catchphrase there. And, you know, we show that tangently, you know, that what's going on, you know, in newspaper articles and, you know, how the sportsman is tied into this. And when the animal rights movement passes laws or passes ballot initiatives, how that impacts wildlife at the end of the day, you know, there, uh, and it usually ends up in the death of the animal. Um, and then it being wasted instead of the sportsman using it and paying to do so. Um, so those are the best ways through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and also on our website there. They can also come to our rally this Saturday the 17th, starts at 4 p.m. at Villa Milano. we got a couple tickets left. They can meet uh, Brian and I uh, face-to-face if they want. I, I don't know how many tickets we have left, but it's our biggest event of the year. Okay. A lot of prizes. Um, so, again, that's that's this Saturday the 17th at Villa Milano here uh, just north of Columbus. Um, you know, w- one of the things I think – that helps is meeting folks face to face, you know, sitting behind a screen and commenting on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I, I don't think you can really have the best dialogue. So we would just encourage anyone who's interested, uh, you know, who listens uh, to this, uh, come down on Saturday the 17th and see us. You can get that information on our website as well. Awesome. And I'm going to post links to all of that stuff in the show notes so that people can find it super easy and the reason i i ask about that is i i just i really feel like hunters sportsmen's sportsmen could do a better job of being informed and educated so that when these things come up they can speak intelligently on them to the non-hunting public you know we've got a small minority of, of people that hunt. You've got a, a general public that is non-hunting public, but they're not anti-hunting. And those are the people that we need to get on our side, if you will. Right. I, I've talked to people, you know, at, at work or, you know, when you work in, in a, a bigger city that like, they didn't even know that there are seasons for hunting. You know, they just thought you just, you went out and shot something whenever you wanted. And so, like just helping to educate the general public by being educated ourselves, I think could go a long way. And I think it goes a little bit farther than that too, Jason. And I'll give you a perfect example. Two, two good examples. One, the conservation reinvestment initiative that we just talked about. Okay. If you only had one or two groups advocating for that, typically we lose. And one of the biggest challenges I have in my department 
is getting the trappers and archers and shotgun folks on the same page. And, and let me give you the example that I'm moving to. So in New Mexico, we're fighting coyote uh, bands, coyote hunting contest bands. We've been fighting them all across the country this year. And New Mexico had a, there was a trapping ban that they were working on. The legislature was trying to get passed and they were trying to get a coyote hunting contest banned as well. And so we put together a coalition down there and I figured I'd kill two birds with one stone. So we had the trappers, um, trappers groups down there and some other hunting groups. We had the farm bureau on board. You know, a lot of times people, you got to think of all the groups that are involved. And sometimes, believe it or not, you'll have an alliance on a particular issue with a group that you may only work with once in 100 years. But anyway, the long story short is we talked about the trapping issue. And then we were moving on to the coyote contest and uh, a couple of the trappers groups were like, all right, well, we'll hop off now and, you know, uh, we'll be in touch. And I said, no, 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 no. I need you guys to engage on the coyote issue, too. And their answer was, well, we really don't trap coyote, you know, and it's really not our issue. So I said, well, you all got your computers on, right? And they said, yes. And I said, OK, hold on a minute. I'm going to email you something. I want you all to read it and then, you know, just give me your feedback. So the language in law in New Mexico for the word take, the first word was trap. So down there they have trap, hunt, harass, whatever. So I sent that to them and the uh, president of the Trappers Association down there, he just he he wasn't a laugh. He's like, oh, my God, he goes, this does impact us. I said, yes, it does. Because if he and a buddy of Brian and I were out, we're out in New Mexico, and I said to him, hey, Brian, you know, first first yoke that gets trapped here or the biggest yoke, whatever, I'll buy you a dinner. The way that these laws, the Humane Society has these laws written is he and I would have been in violation of the law. In Nevada, they wanted to make it a felony equal to manslaughter. This is how far this is how far the Humane wow. Society and these groups have gone. So one of the challenges we always have, particularly my group in the GA side here, is getting all of the groups to understand that, yeah, today it might be uh, the, the, the rod and gun clubs who are holding the coyote contest, but tomorrow it's going to be the trappers. Then it's going to be this group, and then it's going to be that group. And so to wrap it all in again, the, the, the conservation reinvestment initiative here in Ohio, where every group that might have different interests but a common goal – where we work together, we win. We were successful in New Mexico in stopping the trapping ban. Unfortunately, uh, we lost the we lost the coyote hunting contest ban. Um, but you know that state uh, changed too. That went from a you know red to purple state to I mean it is bluer than blue now. And uh, the governor out there fired the entire wildlife commission and put her own people on there and they did some executive actions to the land commissioner down there to ban it first and so but the bottom line is this is getting to what you said everyone no matter what your passion is whether you're a turkey hunter a whitetail hunter an angler uh fur bearer uh trapper we all have to band together because again while we may have different passions the other side's against all of us. They want us all gone. They, they don't want us to practice our passion whatsoever at all. So in that sense, they're focused. And sometimes we have a hard time of everyone getting on the same page. Yeah, I've we've heard that from multiple people. And 
I, I'm glad you talked about that because it's it's you know we can sometimes be our own worst enemies and um, you know kind of we've got our our little tribes and it's not helping us in the in the bigger picture and so I'm glad you you brought that up. I want to pause here one more time to talk about Monster Whitetail Grub. They are a deer feed company. They've got deer feed and deer mineral. And, you know, in the episode, we're talking about being inclusive and and supporting each other. And I really like supporting an Ohio company. So Monster Whitetail Grub is an Ohio company. They try to source everything from Ohio, keep everything local, even down to the packaging. And so we've had really good success with getting deer in front of our cameras with the Monster Whitetail Grub mineral, as well as the Monster Whitetail Grub feed. The feed also has mineral mixed in, so once the physical feed is gone, the deer continue to come back, and there's still something there for them to... There's still something there to, to bring interest to the deer, right? So they're going to continue to come back, continue to stay on that sort of pattern, if you will. And uh, then you can also get flavored corn from them, which is, you know, corn's a good attractant for deer regardless, but then they've got some of this long-range attractant mixed into the corn to, to enhance it even more. So quite a few different options. I, uh, like I said, we've had really good success and I encourage you to go check out some of their products. There'll be a link in the description and, uh, reach out to them and try some of their stuff. And now back to the conversation. Yeah. And, that, and that's what we do here at the Alliance. As Brian said at the beginning, we don't discriminate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we protect, we protect your passion, whatever it is. If it's legal, I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're going out there with, uh, with a, a, a BB gun and a pen and trying to blow dart a squirrel. If it's legal, right. we're going to fight to the death to, to give you that right. And, and that's just who we are. And, and, um, you know, that's, uh, what we fight for every day. Right, Brian? Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Do you guys have any closing thoughts, anything you want to leave our listeners with? No, just thank you guys for all you do. And um, I, will, I won't go through the um, anything else. Um, Brian? Okay. Yeah, no, thank you for having us on. And uh, hopefully we kind of cleared up some of the misconceptions about the uh, the rise in, you know, licenses and tags and things like that, that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if we don't, we're slitting our own throats. It's uh, an investment in hunting and fishing. And yeah, we're going to have to pay a little more, but it's not an exorbitant amount, but it's going to lead to more success down the road for everybody. Awesome. Well, I, I want to thank you guys again for taking time to talk to us. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I think with that, I'll let you guys get back to your back to your evenings. Jason, I had, one, I had one more thing, Jason, just oh, yep. to... Um, if you guys wanted to, I guess, take the opportunity, if people did want to support your mission or your cause, is there ways they can contribute or what can people do? Uh, let you guys get a chance to, I guess, kind of advertise a little bit for the Sportsman's Alliance so that people can donate or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, just go to our website, sportsmens, M-E-N-S, sportsmensalliance.org. You can become a member. We have different uh, membership levels starting at $35 a year and going up from there with different benefits and little, you know, trinkets and, you know, hats or shirts or whatever. Um, you can also, you know, end of the year, it's tax season. We have donations. We're a 501c3 and c4. 
um, you know, our foundation. So you can donate there looking for tax breaks. Uh, yeah, there, those are the two, two ways we operate there, either through donations or through membership, uh, yearly memberships. We also have a bigger, bigger programs. If, uh, you know, you have property or wills or whatever, and, uh, you know, we're happy to work with people that want to do endowments or, or work on anything in particular. So, uh, yeah, sportsmensalliance.org, as well as, you know, finding us on all the social media channels. Awesome. Thank you, Jacob, for, uh, bringing that up. I, I was going to forget to do that. So, so thank you. Thank you. And, and, uh, yeah, thanks guys. All right. I want to thank Brian and Bruce for taking time to talk to us. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think it's a really important conversation. I hope one one takeaway you guys take out of this is we're all on the same team, and we all need to have each other's back. So even if it's something you don't agree with or or don't participate in, a, a, a type of hunting that, that you don't participate in, if it's legal and they're doing everything by the books... We all need to have each other's back. And uh, so I just encourage you guys to remember that when you're out in the woods and, and maybe you see somebody doing something that that you don't necessarily do or whatever it may be. You know, maybe you see somebody trapping and, and you've never trapped and you don't understand it, but at the same time, they're out there enjoying the resource, contributing to conservation, and we've all got to band together and work together to protect this. So... If you would, give this episode a like, share it with your friends, share it with your buddies, share it with your family, and uh, you can also, we've got our decals for sale, so you can go to our website, ohiohuntsman.com, and go to the shop section and and check out the decals, decals. and uh, we have our, our home, Ohio home decal, so it says home, and then the O in home is the shape of Ohio with a, with our our buck logo in it. And then we also have our Ohio, just our Ohio Huntsman logo. So if you hunt Ohio and, and, and you consider yourself an Ohio Huntsman, check those out. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.